It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome in, everybody. Wait. Episode 4 yeah. of the podcast. This is America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday. July 26, 2021, people. We got ourselves a little bit of a unique episode today, something that I've done before. So here's the deal. Uh, great episode, by the way. We're going to talk Texas, Oklahoma, SEC. We are going to talk Team USA basketball debacle. And then I will be joined by my buddy Rick Barnes, head coach, Tennessee Vols. You're really going to enjoy the interview. So the reason that this uh, intro is kind of interesting is this, is that I recorded the whole episode first thing Monday morning, ready to get it out. And most of the Oklahoma-Texas segment is predicated on the idea that at some point on Monday, Texas and Oklahoma were going to ask out of the Big 12, and there are probably 10 different references about Monday afternoon, it will be official, Texas-Oklahoma will ask out of the Big 12. Just one problem, right before I went to publish this episode, Texas and Oklahoma do officially ask out of the Big 12. And so I thought rather than redoing this entire episode, all I wanted to do is give you the disclaimer. When you hear me say Texas and Oklahoma are expected to ask out of the Big 12 sometime on Monday, well, that became official uh, That became official here at about 10.30 Eastern time. So nothing else from the podcast changes. This was expected. It happened. And what we are going to do now is just start the, the episode from scratch. But I wanted to give you the disclaimer off the top. I referenced Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, uh, you know, Texas and Oklahoma basically uh, asking out of the Big 12 throughout the show. It is now official. And what we're going to do is you got the intro. You're going to get a second intro now. Uh, but the rest of the show is good as is. None of the other content changes. But I just wanted to make that reference off the top. So now with that said, here's your second intro to the Aratora Sports Podcast. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome to the 
podcast in Assuming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday, July 26, 2021, people. I hope everybody had a great weekend. And I got to say, for late July, we got ourselves a lot to talk about. We will obviously open with the story that we frankly led last episode with, which is Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. If you listen to last episode, I kind of said, ah, you know, I don't know. I was recording late Wednesday when the news first broke, and I was kind of saying, I don't know if this is going to happen. Sure enough, it sure is, as there are reports that Texas and Oklahoma could officially ask out of the Big 12 as early as Monday. From there, we'll actually talk about what, what happens next for the rest of the Big 12, because I think they're in a really precarious spot, and I think in many ways that's actually more interesting than the Texas-Oklahoma angle from it. From there, we will transition to Team USA basketball. That is right. Team USA basketball lost on Sunday. They, I actually don't think they're very good. I don't think they're going to win gold. Some of it is on Greg Popovich. Some of it is on the players. But if you watch that game, this team is not very good as they lost two exhibition games leading into the Olympics and now have lost their Olympic opener. And from there, we'll transition to a great interview with my old buddy Rick Barnes. That's right. If you listen to this podcast, I told you, listen, I know there's not going to be a ton of college basketball news here over the next four, you know, you know, 12 weeks, whatever, three months, two and a half months. But when there is relevant college basketball content, I'm going to deliver it to you. Rick Barnes, head coach, Tennessee. I love having Coach Barnes on this show. He is so interesting, so dynamic. He has seen it all in the sport of college basketball. So Rick Barnes will join me later in the show. All right, let's get to the topic of the day, which, as I said last episode, really isn't just the topic of the day. It is the topic of the month. It is the topic of the year. And it is the story that I believe, when we look back 15, 20, 25 years from now, it's the, it's the story that we're going to say it really kind of changed college sports forever. And it is, of course, the news that I talked about on last episode with the news that Texas and Oklahoma are officially about to be out of the Big 12 with plans on ending up in the SEC. And before we get into kind of the new news since the last episode, I want to go back for a second because a lot of you hit me up, and I think you're fair in hitting me up and say, well, Torres, your last episode did not age well. You said it was fishy. You said something didn't add up. You said something didn't smell right. And to which I say, you're 100% right. But I want to explain where I was on Wednesday and the one little piece of news that wasn't little at all that made me realize this story was way bigger than I was giving it credit for. And what it was was this, is that, you know, the original headline, and remember, I recorded shortly after the original Houston article, Houston Chronicle article came out. The original headline, Texas, Oklahoma, pursuing SEC. And to me, that's an incredible headline, great content for what I do in this show. But in the grand scheme, what immediately went off in my head was all the different things that need to happen for that exact scenario, Texas, Oklahoma, SEC. You know there's TV contracts involved. You know the Big 12 is going to do everything they can to fight to keep Texas, Oklahoma. You know part of the SEC is going to fight to keep them out, specifically Texas A&M. You know politicians are going to get involved, which they already are in states like Texas and Oklahoma. And so when I saw that headline, I was like, you know what? I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying there's a lot of steps along the way. But then what happened was this. I hit publish. I finished the episode, hit publish, and went back on social media. And one thing really stood out to me, jumped out to me, when I went back on social media. The talk from the reporters within the Big 12 footprint, I'm not talking about the national guys, I'm not talking about the... In the Big 12 footprint, one thing stood out. 
all of those reporters in Texas, in Oklahoma, Houston, Dallas, Oklahoma City, San Antonio, whatever, those guys and girls were not saying the story of the day is Texas and Oklahoma are going to the Big 12 or going to the SEC. What they said instead was this. Texas and Oklahoma are ready to ask out of the Big 12. And that's when it hit me. That's when it hit me. That if Texas and Texas and Oklahoma, it's not about the, the SEC necessarily at this particular moment. That's the end game, of course. But right now, the goal is, hey, we're going to tell the Big 12 that after our TV contract runs out in 2025, we're not re-signing. And that, to me, is a much bigger story and a much more present and relevant story than the SEC stuff from the perspective of this. You can argue about legal this, political this, da-da-da, all that. But if Texas and Oklahoma just say to the Big 12, it's not you, it's us, we're out in 2025, there's really not much anyone can do. And so as soon as I saw that, it made me realize it's not really about the SEC. It is really about the SEC, but it's not really about the SEC. But it is about ultimately getting out of the Big 12. And then once you get out of the Big 12, the world is your oyster if you're Texas and Oklahoma. Certainly the SEC probably makes the most sense geographically and financially. But beyond that, you can go to the ACC if you want. You can go to the Big 10 if you want. You can go to the Pac-12 if you want. You can go independent if you're Texas and Oklahoma can go somewhere else. You can go independent if you're Oklahoma and Texas can go somewhere else. But the bottom line is it's not really about the SEC in this moment. It's about getting out of the Big 12, which is exactly what was reported uh, Thursday into Friday, most notably Chip Brown, great reporter in Austin, 24-7 Sports, basically said, look, by the end of this coming week, maybe by the time you listen to this, maybe as early as Monday, Texas and Oklahoma will ask out of the Big 12. And again, I don't claim to be a lawyer or a TV contract expert, but once they ask out of the Big 12, they can play it out till 2025, and there's not really much the Big 12 can do for recourse. On top of that, what I would also say is this. I think this eventually means that Texas and Oklahoma are going to be in the Big 12, which, ding, 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 isn't really a surprise. But what, what is interesting to me is as weird as it sounds, I actually think Texas and Oklahoma hold, hold all the leverage here. And I know what you're probably thinking. What are you talking about, Torres? This is the SEC. This is Nick Saban. This is LSU. Just won a national championship two years ago. This is Florida. This is Georgia. This is Greg Sankey. But what can the SEC do if Texas and Oklahoma want to come? Yes, you can vote no. And a lot of you ask me, well, what if this school votes no? Or what if that school? They can vote no. But at the end of the day, they're not going to vote no. And you know why? It's because of the fact that if they vote no, Texas and Oklahoma are going to go somewhere else and make somebody else a crap ton of money. And so I, I'm reading all these articles about Greg Sankey has to stop this. Greg Sankey has to do this. Greg Sankey has to do this. And I respect the heck out of Greg Sankey and especially what he did last year during COVID. But Greg Sankey's job is to do what is best for the health of the SEC. And if you turn down Texas and Oklahoma, if you advise your schools, don't bring them in, you know what happens? They're going to go to the Big Ten, the ACC, the Pac-12, and make somebody else a boatload of cash. And then you're potentially putting the schools in your league at risk of falling behind financially. Now, listen, there's so much money in college sports. I don't really think that it matters. Like, I don't think that Tennessee football is going to struggle to keep the lights on if they don't bring in Texas and Oklahoma. But listen, this is a pride thing. This is an ego thing. And at the end of the day, if the Big Ten is making more money or all of a sudden the Pac-12's contract gets completely ripped up and rewritten because you have Oklahoma and Texas, it doesn't, it's not good for the SEC. And so I, I think Greg Sankey's hands are kind of tied here. I'm reading all this stuff about Greg Sankey's. Is, what is, he can't do it. He's got to do what's best for the league. And what's best for the league is to bring in Texas and Oklahoma. I don't know that it's best for each individual school, but I do think it's what's best for the league as a whole financially and to stay ahead, to stay above. It just means more. And for it to continue to mean more, 
you're going to have to bring in Texas and Oklahoma because if you don't, somebody else will. Well, that said, let's look at all the ramifications because I will tell you, it is fascinating to think about, right? First of all, you know, we're probably going to scrap the two, divi- the two divisions, East and West, and we're probably going to go to four-team divisions, which I think is fascinating. Even before we get to the divisions, how about just the games that we're going to get? I mean, because we got some great games already. Florida, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Alabama, Auburn, Auburn, LSU, LSU, Georgia, whatever, LSU, Florida. A lot of great games. Now, think about it. We might have Texas and LSU in the 330 time slot. We might have Florida and Oklahoma at, at you know in the 8 p.m. 7 central window. We may get, I don't know, uh, we may get, uh, uh, you know, Alabama and Oklahoma, Texas and, and Georgia. Like, like the, the, the possibilities are endless, and the games are going to be insane. Now, again, I don't think it helps Mississippi State that much. I don't think it helps Vanderbilt that much. I don't think it helps Missouri that much. But for the league as a whole, the product that they're going to put on the field is incredible. Like I said, we'll probably end up with four four-team divisions. It was already kind of proposed on the SEC network. I could see the scenario where we add a ninth league game, maybe even, this would be fascinating to me, and I don't know if Greg Sankey or anybody in that office has thought this far ahead yet, but what about a four-team SEC playoff with the four division winners to get to, of course, the SEC championship game and then eventually the college football playoff? Talk about taking over college football for a two, three-week period. How about that? Semifinals in the SEC just to get to the final. And then, of course, whoever wins the SEC championship is going to be the overwhelming favorite once the uh, college football playoff begins. And finally, what I would say with the college football playoff, first of all, I'll say this. How about Greg saying, because I know I said there's not much he could do, but on the one hand, he's building this college football playoff and he's fighting to go to 12 so he can get as many teams in while he's secretly, quietly on the back end, kind of sort of talking to Oklahoma and Texas on the side. And I think this is why he did it. And this is why I think it makes sense for Oklahoma and Texas now, because I've seen a lot of stuff about, well, you know, uh, why would Oklahoma leave the Big 12? They're going to have a free pass into the college football playoff every single year. That's actually true. Texas, if Texas could just get to 10-2, and two, like Texas is going to get into the college football playoff if they stay in the Big 12. That's also why I thought they might go independent. Keep all the money for yourself. You go 10-2, and two, you're going to get into the college football playoff. But at the same time, when people say, oh, Oklahoma, you know, you have a free pass into the college football playoff, I don't think that much is going to change. I think in most years, the SEC is going to get at minimum three and probably four and potentially five teams in the college football playoff of a 12-team playoff. And I know that sounds crazy, and I know it sounds absurd, and blah, 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 and this and that, and whatever. But what I'm telling you is this. Just think about it. First of all, I think the Big 12 is basically done. I think the Big 12 is dead as a conference. Uh, I'm going to talk about that uh, here in a minute. But even if it isn't, I mean, is a league headlined by Baylor and and Texas Tech and TCU and and Kansas State, is that going to be anything more than kind of a quote-unquote one-bid league if we want to steal a line from college basketball? If the Big 12 even exists, it's going to be a one-bid league, and there's probably a pretty good chance it doesn't. From there, I mean, you look at the Pac-12. Even if the Pac-12 picks off a few schools from the SEC, or from the, the Big 12, are we really looking at the Pac-12 all of a sudden? They can't get one team into a, 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 12, a, a four-team college football playoff. Now they're going to get three, four, five teams? No. They'll get one, maybe two. Big 10 will get two, maybe three. The ACC will get one with Clemson and maybe two, but it's going to be so much real estate for the SEC because they're going to have so many good teams, so many big games, and it's just a total game changer. And so when I look at an Oklahoma, I don't I wouldn't worry if I was Oklahoma. Now I will say this, 
People keep telling me that it could be ready as early as 2022, and I'm not going to question the reporting of somebody like Brett McMurphy who said it uh, earlier this week or some of the other people that are saying it. But what I will say is I don't know that Oklahoma should be in a rush to leave the Big 12. I think they should stay in the Big 12 as long as they can, get that automatic or get that inside slot at the college football playoff, and from there in 2025 come to the SEC. Will that happen? I don't know. But the only reason I'm bringing it up is to very simply say, um, you know, it's going to happen, and I don't think it's this big crushing thing for Oklahoma and Texas. Now, yes, Oklahoma is going to face better competition. I know SEC fans would say they're 0-4 in the playoff with three losses to the SEC. But at the end of the day, if they go 10-2, and they are getting into the playoff no different than Texas. And so to me, I'll just say this. I do think Texas and Oklahoma have leverage, but I do think it is kind of this crazy scenario where it just fits for both sides. And there really isn't a lot of downsides for the SEC as a whole and Oklahoma and Texas as a whole. Now, as I said, individual schools, a little bit of a different deal. I wouldn't be very happy right now if I was, frankly, a Texas A&M fan, if I was uh, a Mississippi State fan, if I was a Missouri fan. I've had some Kentucky fans, some Arkansas fans reach out to me saying, I don't like this one bit. I feel bad for you, but it's going to happen. The train is on the tracks, and like I said, if the SEC, if they want to go to the SEC, I don't really think the SEC can say no. So yes, Texas, Oklahoma, it does appear as though they are ultimately at some point going to end up in the SEC, and we'll cover it. Listen, as, as stuff breaks, we are going to continue to cover it on this podcast and on this show, but to me, there's actually an another side of this story which is just as interesting, maybe more interesting, that I want to get into now, because obviously the big headline is Texas and Oklahoma, and it should be the big headline, but at the end of the day, the Texas-Oklahoma side of the story, it's not really that fascinating. Like I said, barring something truly shocking, they are going to be in the SEC here sometime in the near future, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible every single Saturday. But that's kind of, we already know what's going to happen. What we don't know is going to happen, however, what is fascinating to me is what becomes of those other eight schools in the Big 12. What is their future in this college sports landscape that we are quickly, the train is on the tracks and it's going full speed. The college sports landscape is again going to be shaken up over these next two, three, four years. And what becomes of the Kansases with their great basketball program, Iowa State with an emerging football program that made the, the Fiesta Bowl and beat Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl last year. What becomes of West Virginia, actually a pretty good brand across all sports, but kind of in no man's land in the Big 12. So let's get into it because this is one that there is no great answer to, but it becomes fascinating. I do think in the short term, there are two things that we know immediately. One, these schools legally are not going to go down without a fight. And I talked about it on uh, Thursday's episode. We know that these schools are going to pull out all the big political maneuvers to try to keep Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12, at the very least, as long as they can. Once you get to 2025, I don't really know what you can do legally, but they're going to try to keep Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12, convince them that it is worth it for them to stay, figure out a way to, I, I don't know. But the bottom line is they are going to fight to keep these two teams. And we already see that you know, that mechanism, those wheels turning, that process in play. I mentioned it on Twitter the other day, but Saturday morning I saw a report that we already 
have constituents from TCU, Texas Tech, and Baylor, the three Texas schools outside of Texas in the Big 12. They have already gone, as of Friday, to Governor Greg Abbott's office. Greg, Greg Abbott is the governor of Texas to try to plead and explain why it would be bad for Texas to leave the Big 12. Now, I will say Greg Abbott is a Texas alum, so I don't know that he's going to necessarily stand in the way of his horns doing what's best for them. And frankly, I don't think he's going to stand in the way of it, not only just because of the sports aspect of it or the alumni aspect of it, but I just don't think he wants to piss off a bunch of Longhorns in his state. So we know the Texas schools are going to fight, and we know the Oklahoma schools are going to fight. And by Oklahoma schools, I mean Oklahoma State. Their, their president, their school president, put out this big statement, first of all, on Wednesday when the news first broke, and then again on Friday where the, the, the school president in Oklahoma State basically said, this is bad for our state, this is bad for our economy, basically threw out the Oklahoma will ruin life for Oklahomans if they leave for the SEC. So that's one. We know that these eight schools are going to fight to keep Texas and Oklahoma, and as they should. On the second front, we also know that they are very publicly going to act united publicly. We see this all the time, right? Whenever there's, we've seen this fragmentation across college sports a lot over the last 15 years, and publicly these schools are going to, to, to sound as though they are in this together, they're going to fight together. What we also know is that behind the scenes, uh, everybody's kind of trying to start to do their own thing. We saw a report on Friday that Kansas has had preliminary talks about maybe a talk that will lead to a talk to get into the conversation with the Big Ten. Obviously, they would love to bring their basketball program to safer grounds than the Big 12 currently is. Geographically, it makes a lot of sense. And we also saw a report, I, I think it was late Friday, early Saturday, that the three Texas schools that I just mentioned, TCU, Baylor, and Texas Tech, they have already reached out to the Pac-12 about potentially becoming maybe the Pac-16 and maybe include Oklahoma State in that mix or something like that. But essentially, that those schools are going to look for a landing spot maybe in the Pac-12 or at least have those discussions. And that is where this becomes interesting to me because there are so many variables and this is one where I don't know how it's going to shake out because there are so many different conversations within the conversation of if Texas and Oklahoma leave, what happened to the other eight schools? On the one hand, I do think that at least publicly, those other power conferences outside of the SEC, the Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big Ten are going to feel pressure to go to 16 teams. Now, do you really need 16 teams? I don't know. I mean, is the Big Ten, if they stay at 14, like, is are they going to just somehow lose cachet? I don't know. And so to me, it's going to be very interesting, just one, if these conferences feel pressure to go to 16 teams. But then on the flip side, what is equally interesting to me is do these schools, these other eight schools, and by the way, Tech fans, Baylor fans, Iowa State fans, Kansas State fans, you might want to turn this part down because you might get mad at me. At the same time, what I'm equally curious about is do these conferences feel like these schools bring enough cachet that they are worth bringing on in terms of expansion? And I think the, the, the obvious thing is, well, you got to get to 16 because the SEC is at 16. Well, the SEC is going to 16 because Texas and Oklahoma want to join. If Kansas State and Iowa State were knocking on the door of the SEC, they probably would say, you know what? We're good. We're good at 14. We'll stick with 14. I know the Manhattan, Kansas market is bumping and ready for, for SEC football, but we're going to stick with 14 teams. And ultimately, that is what these other three conferences, the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12, all have to ask themselves. 
Going to 16 sounds great, but going to 16, expanding beyond where you are, only works if you're grabbing teams and schools and programs that actually add real financial value to your league. And so I see it as there's only two reasons to add teams to your conference right now, and they're both about dollars and cents. The first one is, are you bringing in programs that are going to fundamentally change your TV contracts? And in other words, are they going to make everybody richer by joining this league? That, by the way, is why Texas and Oklahoma make so much sense from both perspectives. Texas and Oklahoma are basically saying from their side of things, we're carrying the Big 12. We don't need those other eight schools. Let's go somewhere else. We get better competition, better teams, better home games and we'll make more money because we bring value to that other conference. That other conference is likely going to be the SEC, and it's kind of why the SEC has to take Oklahoma and Texas, as I talked about a minute ago, if they ultimately, when they decide to leave the Big 12. Because if the SEC doesn't take them, somebody else will, and Texas and Oklahoma are going to make somebody else rich beyond their wildest dreams. So the SEC and what Greg Sankey is ultimately going to tell his school presidents is, this is why we got to take them, because if we don't, the Pac-12 or the Big Ten will, and they're going to make them filthy rich, and you don't want to fall behind them in terms of finances and resources and TV contracts. The second reason that you bring a program into your conference if they don't have huge brand name cachet, I believe, is because they are a team that will ultimately compete for college football playoff bursts, right? Because remember, couple years from now, we are going to 12 teams. And so is there a team out there, which we're going to get into in a minute, that, that you believe can be an annual college football playoff contender and is going to enhance your brand in college football? Because we know how much money that new 12-team college football playoff is going to make for all of these conferences. And it goes without saying, the more teams you can get into that 12-team playoff, the more money your conference is going to make as a whole. And so that is why I'm fascinated by these eight schools because do they in this context have any real value to these conferences? I think it's easy to say, well, you know, Kansas basketball and Iowa State, they're pretty good at football and Baylor, they've done this and they just won a national championship in basketball and Texas Tech, Patrick Mahomes. But do they fundamentally bring money to a new TV contract? And the answer is frankly, no. And I hate to be a jerk. I hate to be mean. I'm not being disrespectful to these other schools. Maybe Kansas basketball does. Maybe Oklahoma State football adds a little value. Maybe West Virginia as a whole adds a little bit value. But the bottom line is these schools don't, frankly, add any value to a TV contract. And you know how I know that? It's because this whole situation started with Texas and Oklahoma realizing that their contract in the Big 12 was not going to change because TV partners did not value the other eight teams in the this conference. As far as the college football playoff is concerned, well, I mean, the results kind of speak for themselves. Yes, Baylor, in theory, they, they've had a year or two where they could have competed for a playoff berth over the last five or ten years when Matt Rule was there and when Art Bryles was there. But are they going to be a consistent contender for the playoff? I don't think so. Oklahoma State, maybe they're the one team that they've had those years where they really could be in the mix. And so you look across the landscape, I don't know that there are many good options. Now, could West Virginia be a geographical fit with, say, the ACC? Yes. Could Kansas ultimately get into the Big Ten because of basketball? I believe so. But I think it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with these other schools, the Iowa States, the Kansas States, the Texas Techs, because, again, we know they don't bring value to TV contracts. We learned that, and that is why Texas and Oklahoma are leaving. So it's absolutely fascinating. I'm curious to see if the conferences feel pressure to go to 12. If they don't, if they realize that some of these schools bring no actual value, it's also worth noting, by the way, 
the Big 12 itself considered going to 12 teams a few years ago, and they realized Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, no disrespect, those schools don't bring enough value to our TV contracts that it makes it worth it to go beyond 10. So that is what is fascinating to me. We know Texas and Oklahoma at some point in some way are leaving, but what becomes of these other eight schools? And I will say there is one more possibility that while I don't believe it's realistic is worth considering. There is the possibility that, uh, you know, the other eight schools just lawyer up, decide to stay together and ultimately add another team or two. I saw this argument from, uh, you know, my buddy Clay Travis. He is a former lawyer and he basically made the argument, look, um, you know, ESPN could be in some kind of legal situation here because they're going to be basically funding Texas and Oklahoma's departure from the Big 12, which opens them up to legal lawsuits. And because of it, they might just have to, you know, pay, you know, they might have to extend the Big 12 contract. They might have to, uh, you know, pay the Big 12 the other eight teams a certain amount of money over a certain period of time so that is worth considering but to me this is just a fascinating story I'm absolutely curious about it and I have no idea what happens with these big 12 teams as I said a minute ago it's one of those deals where I do kind of believe like we know what's happening with Texas and Oklahoma and that's fascinating but what might be even more fascinating is what happens with these other eight teams in the big 12 so yeah Fascinating story, many layers, and as I've said a few times already on this show, uh, this is a story that I think is just going to keep evolving. So what we are going to do, we are going to take a quick break because there's no more to talk about at this particular moment about Texas, Oklahoma, even though in an hour from now there might be. Take a quick break, talk about the debacle that is Team USA basketball before we eventually get to, to Rick Barnes, but let's take a quick break. All right, everybody, uh, I am back. Great to be back. Thank you guys for listening to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And I'll tell you this, as this Big 12 SEC Texas-Oklahoma story continues to evolve, I promise we'll continue to cover it. And it's, it's something that could move really quickly with uh, Texas and Oklahoma potentially asking out of the Big 12 as early as Monday morning, Monday afternoon. And it's also a story that could drag on for two, three, four years, depending on how much the Big 12 wants to fight this puppy. So we will continue to cover this as needed. But I do want to transition to the Olympics because the Olympics are underway. If you missed last episode, by the way, Annie Coons, U.S. Olympian, joined the show. Really fun interview. Annie's a great friend of mine. I've known her for years. Really, obviously, frankly, proud of her for her success in track and field. Really fun interview. Encourage you to go back and listen. But I do want to talk about the Olympics because they're underway. I love the Olympics. I will be happy to continue to talk about the Olympics over the next two, three, four weeks. Now, I promise we're not going to be breaking down uh, track and field or team handball or anything like that. But when when a relevant topic comes up, we will discuss. And there is certainly a relevant topic today, a topic that many of you seem to care about based on my social media feeds, and that is the failures of Team USA Basketball. Team USA Basketball lost their opener in the Olympics on Sunday, final score 83-76. And if you didn't watch the game and you just read the reports, people say, ah, you know, it was kind of close. Team USA Basketball had a seven-point lead with four minutes to go, and all that's true. But what I would also say is they were trailing going into the fourth quarter, and this is their third loss in the last five games, dating back to the exhibition slate where they lost to Nigeria and Australia, meaning that Team USA Basketball has now lost three of their last five. They lose their Olympic opener. This coming off a 25-game Olympic winning streak. Coach K, everything Coach K built down the drain. Coach K undefeated in the 08 Olympics, 12 Olympics, and 16 Olympics. 
Greg Popovich 0-1 as an Olympic head coach, but Team USA Basketball loses. I want to talk about it, and I just want to be blunt. I'm just going to be honest, and I'm just going to get straight to the lead. I don't think this team is very good. I don't think they're well-constructed. I don't think they're well-coached, and I don't think they're winning gold. Now, before we get to Sunday, what went wrong, why this team stinks, why I don't think they're going to win gold, one thing, can we stop with the excuses? Because as soon as this game went final, I heard all the excuses that we always hear. I heard, oh, the world is catching up to Team USA basketball. Oh, it's the AAU culture. Oh, uh, these, these teams get to practice year-round together. Uh, there wasn't enough time between the finals and the start of the Olympics. Can we stop with the excuses? Okay, first of all, here's the problem. Here's the problem with me getting older, getting a few gray hairs on the side here. It's that I remember stuff that happened a long time ago, okay? And what I will tell you is this definitively. We have been using the, the world is catching up to us excuse for 20 years. The Olympics in 2004 was when it all fell apart. If you remember dating back to 2004, that was the team that had Allen Iverson on it, Stefan Marbury on it, Sean Marion on it, um, you know, a young LeBron James, a young D-Wade, a young Carmelo, and we were terrible in the Olympics. We lost to Puerto Rico in the opener, and that was the excuse in 2004. The world is catching up to us. It's never going to be the same. Then you know what happened? We restructured the program, we brought in Coach K, all of the best players committed, and a funny thing happened. We won the Olympics in 2008 without a loss. We won the Olympics in 2012 without a loss. We won the Olympics in 2016 without a loss. So how could the world be catching up 20 years ago and then we win three straight Olympic gold medals without a loss? Stop telling me that the world is catching up. Yes, the world is catching up, but guess what? We still have by far the best players on the planet. If the world is catching up, how about this? The U.S. Olympic team, it is made up entirely of NBA players. Not surprising. Five of them were all-stars. That France team that beat us, which isn't even one of the favorites outside of Team USA, by the way, they had four total players who played in, in the NBA last year. So stop telling me that uh, the world is catching up when the Team USA has five all-stars, France had four players who played in the NBA last year. On top of that, can we stop with the excuses of, oh, they didn't have enough time. There's not enough time between the finals. They didn't have enough time to prepare. Uh, well, first of all, you just mentioned it. If your excuse is the world is catching up, that means that you're acknowledging that France does, in fact, have some NBA players. So were the playoffs not going on for Rudy Gobert, who played into deep into the playoffs? How about Nicholas Batum, who played in the Western Conference Finals? Stop using that as an excuse for me. And by the way, stop using this narrative that, oh, these teams have so much more time to play together. Uh, first of all, as I just said, how much time did France have when two of their players played deep in the Olympics and four of their players were busy, oh, I don't know, playing an entire NBA season? My guess is they didn't have time to run the three-man weave over in Paris for 365 days in the year in the lead up to these Olympics. Didn't happen. By the way, Australia, who the U.S. lost to in an Olympic, uh, you know, in a preseason game, a pre-Olympic game in Vegas. Australia has seven new players since the last Olympics. They've had two coaches in the last two years. So stop telling me that these teams have all this time to practice and all this chemistry and all this history. It doesn't exist. These are excuses. 
they are not getting to the core of the issue, which is that with this specific team, it is not built well and it is not coached well. So let's get into the team itself because, again, as I said, when you lose three out of your last five games and you are by far the most talented team, you got to look yourself in the mirror, right? It's no different than last year in college basketball when Duke was terrible and Kentucky was terrible. You got to look yourself in the mirror and say, at some point, something is not right. And I do think, look, first of all, it does start with the roster construction. I understand that Team USA did not have access to all of its best players. You'd love to have LeBron James in this Olympics. You'd love to have Steph Curry in this Olympics. But I just don't think this team is very well put together. First of all, the one thing that stood out to me watching on Sunday that was very glaring was they don't have a point guard. And I know the word point guard is kind of outdated in like the days of the guy that brings the ball up and sets up the offense. Like that guy really doesn't exist. Like Chris Paul is kind of that guy. But basically most lead guards now look to score. Trey Young, De'Aaron Fox, uh, you know, whoever does not matter. But when I watched this game, the one thing that stood out to me, they don't even have a guy to set up the offense. Early in the game, for the most part, it was actually Damian Lillard. I love Damian Lillard, love Dame time, think he's an incredible player and an incredible story, but guess what? That guy is a guy that was born to look for his own shot first, as he should with the Portland Trailblazers, not set up Kevin Durant, not set up Jason Tatum, not set up Bam Adebayo, Draymond Green, Devin Booker. That's not what he is built to do. And once you get past him, he's the best option. That's the scary part. You get past him, you kind of have Drew Holiday. The rest of the guards on this roster... Devin Booker, uh, you know, Jeremy Grant. Uh, uh, there's not a lot of options there. Even Bradley Beal, who was on this team before he got thrown off because of COVID issues, um, you know, he's not the answer there either. And so from the beginning, this team was poorly constructed. I said it a few weeks ago. I stand by it. I actually think they should have gone out and got Trey Young because for all the criticism of Trey Young, two things. One, he can penetrate, he can get into the lane, and he does, in fact, create for others. I know we all think of him as this gunner and this chucker and 28-foot three-point shots. He averaged nine and a half assists per game this year, and when you look at Team USA and you watch Team USA, that's the thing that stands out. They don't have a guy to set things up, which leads to bad offense. It leads to a lot of one-on-one, -on -one, a lot of contested jump shots, a lot of deep threes, and you're not going to win that get that way. On top of that, I would also say, in hindsight, I don't think that it was very smart to bring three guys straight off the NBA Finals. Now, I, I know I said a minute ago it's not an excuse that the playoffs just ended, but I do think in hindsight, if they had to do it over, I don't know that they would bring in Devin Booker from the Phoenix Suns, Chris Middleton from the Milwaukee Bucks, and Drew Holiday from Milwaukee as well. Now, Drew Holiday did play well on Sunday, so that is worth noting, but Devin Booker just looks shot. And I love Devin Booker. I think he's one of the 10 most gifted basketball players on the planet. But he just looks done. He looked done at the end of the NBA Finals. He looks done right now. He basically gave you nothing. Chris Middleton barely came off the barely came off the bench on Sunday. And so when you already have two or three role players that you know are not even going to play very much, Keldon Johnson and Jeremy Grant, you need more out of those two spots. Or you should have never brought Keldon Johnson on in the first place. Again, I don't know why you didn't bring Trey Young in. But when you add in the fact that they have no point guard, they don't run any real offense. And you basically have two dead spots offensively on the roster in Jeremy Grant and Keldon Johnson and two guys that appear to just be gassed from the NBA Finals, Chris Middleton and Devin Booker. I just don't see this thing getting any better. I really don't. I don't know what the adjustments are. I don't know what the lineup changes are. I just don't think this team is very well put together to compete for a, an Olympic gold medal, especially against teams that if, the, if we're saying the world is catching up, I'm just saying 
I don't think they're much better. Like, I, I've watched them three or four times now. I don't think they're better than Australia. I don't think they're better than France. I don't think they're better than a lot of teams in this uh, Olympic event. Finally, let me just say this. Greg Popovich, can you get off your high horse? And, like, I do think that's part of the problem, too. I don't think the coaching is very good. You can say what you want about Coach K. I've said everything about Coach K. I've criticized him. I've made fun of him. Jet black hair. Uh, uh, you know, uh, trying to cancel the basketball season last year before Nate Oates stepped on his throat. But say what you want about Coach K. But two things. One, he has the respect of, N- of the NBA players. And two, I think he... I just think he was the right guy at the right time for that team where he had the respect, but he also knew when to push and pull. Greg Popovich, I don't know what he does. And I'm not going to do the whole sports talk radio thing of he's always been overrated and he's a byproduct of Tim Duncan, even though I think part of it is true. But what I would also say is I'm not very impressed by Greg Popovich. Again, you watch this team, it doesn't look like they know what they're doing. And then to make matters worse on top of that, and I don't claim to be an X's and O's expert, I'm not saying that I have the answer and I could draw up the perfect play to get Kevin Durant a wide-open jump shot, but what's more bothersome than anything about this Team USA thing is they lose, and then Greg Greg Popovich goes to the podium and makes excuses. Uh, Why should you be surprised? Don't act surprised. The world is catching up. All the crap that we always hear, Greg Popovich spits it out at the press conferences. I went back and looked just to make sure that I, I wasn't missing anything. This is what he said after... Team USA's first exhibition loss to Nigeria. In a way, I'm kind of glad it happened. It means nothing if we don't learn from it. It could be the most important thing in this tournament for us to learn lessons from this. That was after the first loss. After the second loss, I thought we got better tonight. After a short time together, there's a lot of things that have to be covered. And then after the loss to France on Sunday, you know what he said? We shouldn't be surprised. Because again, the world is catching up. And it's never Greg Popovich's fault. And ultimately, that's the most frustrating thing about this to me in general. I don't claim to cover the NBA. I don't claim to know every detail about Greg Popovich's coaching history and all that stuff. But what I can see is this. When you lose games, when you have the overwhelming favorite with by far the most talent in the tournament, you have to go to the press conference and have a better reasoning than, well, you know, everybody else is catching up to us. Well, we shouldn't be surprised. Well, coach, I am surprised because we have the best team, we're the most talented, and I don't want to hear excuses. And I just think it's amazing to me that this guy thinks going to the podium and saying, you shouldn't be surprised. Like, what kind of excuse is that? Imagine any other coach in any other sport saying that. Imagine Andy Reid going to the podium with the most talented team in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. They lose three out of five, uh, including teams that they should never lose to. They lose to the Jags and the Texans or whatever. And Andy Reid goes to the podium and says, oh, we shouldn't be surprised. This is the NFL. And they think, no, we want answers, Coach Reid. We want answers, Bill Belichick. Coach K, we want answers if Duke loses three of five. But Greg Popovich somehow gets a pass because the world is catching up. Give me a break. I'm tired of the excuses. But what I would also ultimately say is this. I don't think it's getting better because I don't think this team is well-constructed and I don't think they're well-coached. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I, I, I hope I whiff on this one because I really want to be wrong and I really want to watch Team USA Basketball have success. But I'm just telling you, this team is not very well put together. And I don't think they're winning the gold, but it'll be interesting to see. I'll tell you this. They, their next game is against Iran uh, on Wednesday. If they don't beat Iran... I think we got some problems. I think we might have to fire Greg Popovich mid-tournament, get Coach K out of uh, out of the mothballs uh, in the closet, and bring him back if nothing happens. But 
That's Team USA, and uh, another story we'll continue to cover. But I want to get out of here because I want to get to Rick Barnes. Rick Barnes, obviously a great friend of the Aaron Torres podcast. He's been on multiple times. Just an incredible guy. I mean, I just really love having Coach Barnes on. He's seen it all in college basketball, done it all. And we talk a lot about the changing landscape of college basketball. Now, I did not mention this off the top. It is worth noting. Uh, I actually recorded with Coach Barnes prior to the Texas-Oklahoma news breaking late on Wednesday last week. So, I mean, he talk about a guy that would have been great to have on to discuss that topic. Rick Barnes, of course, not only an SEC head coach, but he, of course, also coached at Texas for whatever it was, 15, 16 years. I did not get to ask him about that, but still a fun interview with Rick Barnes. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres podcast. A lot of changes coming in the next few weeks in a good way, really exciting way, have some fun stuff that I want to talk to you guys about, but that will come in the coming days, coming weeks, coming months. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, make sure that you're subscribed. iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Shout out to Torrid Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back later this week. But now, let's get to my buddy, Rick Barnes. Joining me via Zoom, good friend. It's been a while, Coach Rick Barnes, Tennessee. Coach, how you doing? I'm great, Aaron. How about you? How you been? So I'm good. I'm good. First of all, we're just chatting off air. Uh, rumor has it not only well all across your staff, but uh, Coach, you had a you had a birthday this weekend. So one happy birthday, and two, I, I thought of this. Okay, I don't want to age you here, but couple guys that you've been rivals with for a long time, you know, including a guy you used to coach against in the ACC, decided to step away this summer. You're, you're not leaving us, Coach, are you? You got, you got, we got at least a couple years left, right? No, you know what I did, Aaron? When I turned 50, I decided I was going to start over. So I'm okay. 17. I'm 17. Oh, I'm feeling 17, and I'm ready to go, you know? There you go. Good. So we're just getting started. That's perfect because we can't, we can't be losing you too, Coach. So, honestly, that's actually a perfect place to start with everything I want to talk to you about it. It's been kind of a crazy summer uh, in college athletics as a whole. And uh, you know, a lot of adjustment for guys like yourself that have been in this business for a while. Um, you know, I know you've dealt with all sorts of different rules, changes and things of that nature over the course of the time that you've been in college athletics. It, it was this summer, no different from the perspective of whatever the rules are, we have to adjust and kind of build our program accordingly. Yeah, I think that you've got to do what you are com comfortable with. You know, when you go back to the transfer portal, we, we were able to get uh, one good player out of it that we're really excited about. But we've decided we're going to try to do it the way we've always done it. And uh, we know that uh, things are changing. We know that there's a lot going on within college athletics. But uh, we feel like what we've done has been good. And we look at what we do every year and see how we can do it better. And uh, but in terms of knowing what we're looking for from a recruiting standpoint, what we want in our program, we're not going to change any of that. 
So, so obviously something you and I have talked about for years is, you know, you look for character and, you know, the right fit for your programs, but what is that balancing act of, of doing it in the portal versus doing it in, in high school? Is it, are you only looking to maybe bring in say a difference maker, a, a plug and play guy in the portal is, is every case by case basis. Do you think as we move on here, you'll try to stay older through the portal? I mean, how have you guys evaluated with especially with the portal specifically, how you're going to use it or how you want to use it. I know that the, the type of player doesn't change, the character doesn't change, but just the roster building itself, how have you guys decided to do it? Well, Aaron, again, I think that when what the portal will do is, again, we, we, we already right now, we know who we would like to recruit and sign in this class coming out of high school right now. But we also know we're going to make sure that we save some scholarships because we do know at the end of the year that, we could lose guys to the portal. We could lose guys to the NBA. And it's almost like I've told our coaches, we almost have to treat everybody like everybody's one and done. You know, if they're good enough to play and get to the league, they're going to do it. If, if they haven't played as much as they want to play, that gives them a chance to leave right away and go somewhere where they maybe can do that. So with that said, you know, um, I think the days of having 13 guys on scholarship, are, it's going to be really tough because they all want to play. And if they don't play, they're going to look to leave. And so uh, with that in mind, I, you know, I, I don't have a problem uh, taking some guys that we would label as a project for those last couple scholarships and hope that you can develop them and they can come along. And when you need to fill a spot, they're there waiting to do that. But will we use the portal? We, we've, we have. So, yeah, we will. But we're still going to try to do what we what we do through the to the through the high school ranks. Is that, you know, with the high school kids or, or even a, a portal guy that would be a, 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 you know, a developmental player, is that just a, a transparent conversation from the beginning? Because, you know, obviously everybody understands that, you know, nothing's going to be guaranteed once you get to campus, but it's another thing when you're told in recruiting, but then you show up and, and you, there are older players, veteran players behind you, and you might not see as much playing time. Well, you just said it, that the word is transparency. And I think that we've always tried to be as, but we have. I mean, we. I, I. I really would tell you that we are brutally honest when it comes to recruiting, and I think we are where we are uh, in the recruiting process with the transfers being so high because of what you said. I mean, there's. I've been doing this a long time, and you know, I think that sometimes that people say things what they have to say to get a person to commit, and that's where the problem comes in. And knowing what you just said, there are guys in our program that. Or have worked really hard and they, they're waiting, their turn's there. And we know, so I think it's so important to be brutally honest up front and uh, really kind of promise less and deliver more. And uh, because if they're willing to work and buy into it, they'll play. And because we're not going to recruit anybody that, that we don't think can play and fit in our program. And we're not going to do that. We, we feel like if we once we offer a scholarship and we don't offer a mass bundle of scholarships, when we, when we make that commitment, We've really have done our work in terms of understanding the character. Hopefully we understand the uh, work ethic that they have in place and, and their competitive fire. But uh, I just think now that with where we are in college basketball, every year you've got to be ready. And yeah, you'd like to think you can build a team that's going to be around, be with you, stay old, as you mentioned. But the fact of the matter is we do know that we're into some roster management every year that we're going to have to deal with. 
Very good. How about NIL? You know, my understanding is, is that you guys have to basically be hands off and, you know, you can't say this is a good opportunity. This is a bad opportunity, but I imagine, you know, you're, you're advising players on who to trust, what, like, like what, what are you guys allowed to do and, and how have you just navigated this? And, and I know it was frustrating for a lot of people, but it gets dropped on your doorstep, you know, July one. And I don't know the, what the exact laws were in Tennessee, if that was going to be the case anyway, but how have you navigated it? We're three, four weeks in, and I think everybody's kind of still trying to figure out that one as well. Well, I totally trust our uh, administration. Uh, they, they're on top of it. They're going to make sure that we're not left behind in any area. We, we've got a very aggressive, uh, progressive administration here with Danny White and his team and what Tom Sakoviak does with, with uh, the media here. And I, I totally trust them. I, I do. And I, know our, and I know, more importantly, our players trust them. And what we're going to do, we're going to make sure we protect them. We want them to be able to take advantage of every opportunity out there that's that's there, that's done you know the right way. But uh, we want to protect them and make sure they're not going to do anything to harm themselves or their value somewhere down the road. But it goes back again. Our administration's put a lot of things in place already. They're on top of it every day. And where we are with it, I don't know if any of us truly know where it's all going to play out. Uh, but uh, other than again, the administration doing everything they can to make sure our athletes know they're not going to be left behind in any way, shape, or form. One other final big difference uh, in college athletics right now, you can work with your players. Uh, how nice, you know, we, we spoke, I think, you know, September, October of last year, and it was finally to the point where you could get them on the court five on five. But, you know, you mentioned Tom Sokoviak, you know, your, your SID, I was just talking to him about this time last year, the, the players were in the, the gym with one manager at a time. And that was all you could do. And, you know, one, it's, it's a testament to how far we've come, but two, how nice is it just, even if it's just a few hours a week by NCAA rule to, to be able to work with them, to be able to coach them, be able to get to know them better and vice versa, get them get to know you and your staff as well. Aaron, this is one of my favorite times of the year because of what you just said. And we missed all that a year ago. We didn't have a chance to, to do any of it. And I, and I hate it for Jaden Springer and, and uh, Keon Johnson. I hate it for those guys because we just didn't get to do it. And, and to be quite frank, to me, this is what makes our jobs fun, that we get to spend time with these guys in the gym and a lot of individual work, but then uh, a lot of teamwork as well. But uh just being able to be around them, you know, uh, whether it's after we get through working out to be in the locker room, uh, having a good time or just hanging out together. We didn't have any of that. So it does feel like we're back to normal and, and it's a good feeling. It really is. And uh, it made, it makes you really realize how much you missed what we didn't get to do a year ago. And so uh, it's been fun this summer. We're down to where we have, I think we're down to our last two weeks now and mm -hmm. uh uh, but we've had a good summer, and I think our players have enjoyed it. What have you seen so far? What have you seen? I mean, a, a bunch of new guys. You mentioned a, a high-level transfer, Justin Powell. Uh, what have you seen? What do you like? What what needs some work between now? We still got three, four months before the start of the season, but what have you seen so far? We Well, what we had, you know, we, we've had, a, uh, again, this time of year, you make sure if you got some guys that are, are nursing some injuries, that they're going to they're gonna get those right. That's most important. And then – We've had guys that have played with, uh, like, uh, you know, Kennedy Chandler play with our under-19 team. Olivier Kamwa played with his national team. Santiago was with his national team. And 
So we, we've had guys that we haven't had everybody here together all summer, which I think has been good too, because it's allowed us to really put a lot of attention into other guys that we know that are going to have to play big roles for us. But we are excited, and we really probably won't get everybody totally back together until we get back in the fall, which is fine. Because, you know, older guys, Josiah James, John Fulkerson, uh, guys have been around, they can now do take any kind of workload that you want to give them. But they really – they don't need it, but they can take all you want to give them. Whereas the younger guys, uh, they need everything you can give them, but they really can't take it. But with that said – we've been able to go slowly with those guys, the ones that, uh, and we've had uh, some new guys in here, but and it's been neat watching their improvement. That's been the best part. I don't think there's one guy on, uh, on our team right now that hasn't gotten better this summer and hasn't worked hard at trying to improve what he needs to do to uh, get better as a, as an individual. You know, last going back to last season for a second ago, you know, you look across college basketball, um, you know, Kentucky was really struggled and Coach Cal's talked about it. I'm not speaking out of school here, you know, Michigan State, Duke, uh, Kansas struggled at times. How much was it for you guys? You know, you, you still have a successful season. You go to the NCAA tournament, five seed, all that stuff. But did you ever feel like I totally knew my team. My team totally knew me because I just look back to last year and thinking about what you just said about just, just, you know, the, the, the starting process getting pushed so far back that, I mean, what, what, obviously you're hopefully never going to have to do it again in your career. No, no one in your business will, but do you think that played a role in, in, you know, any school having trouble difficulty because it just felt like outside of those top two teams, top three teams last year, Everybody was just all season long trying to figure things out and trying to figure out what worked and what didn't. Yeah, I think we all struggled. I do. I, I think older teams probably were able to bounce back a little bit quicker. But uh, do I think that we ever really got to know our team? I don't, uh, you know, because we not only did we have young guys that we were counting on that, again, didn't have the full summer to get ready for what we were expecting them to do. Then we had, you know, John Fulkerson got hit hard and uh, didn't have the kind of year that he would, uh, that we were anticipating from him. Nothing that he could do about it. I mean, it's just part of the game. And then that threw a lot more on Eve Ponds. And, but I thought Eve, you know, Eve was a, just in yeoman workforce the whole time. But, uh, but no, it, it, was, it was a tough year. And I think at the end of last year, I think everybody was sort of kind of just relieved that we got through the year. And, and I think if you ask, a lot of people, the majority of people would tell you that if we had to do it again exactly the same way, I'm not sure we'd want to do it because it was oh, wow. uh, it, it was just really hard because all the things that you had done throughout or I had done throughout our career here and places I've been, we were hands on. We were around people. We were able to have fun. We, we, there, was, there was not very much fun in it because, yes. you know, when practice, when practice was over with, you know, we had to keep our distance. Guy was pick up their food, go back to the dorm, uh, from the dorm back here. And even when we had meetings, you know, we had to take an entire ballroom and we're spread out six, 12, 15 feet apart. There was no intimacy to it. And it, it was just so different. And then you go into stadiums and you play. I mean, fans are important. And, uh, you know, that's part of why we do what we do. And, you know, and, and you do love it. But you just didn't – it was just different. And uh, – wasn't fun, uh, and, I, and I don't think many people – yeah, you say you win games. It's almost like when you won a game, and, like, we had a big win against Kansas, and it was nice, but it was like we really didn't do 
our fans didn't get to be a part of it. And, uh, and, you know, it's like, as soon as that game was over with, it wasn't like you're walking around town and players were walking on campus and people were patting them on the backs and that has a great game. They weren't seeing anybody. So the only people that you were conversing with were your own inner circle here, which was really about 25, 30 people. But with that said, that's why what we started with this summer, this summer has been so great. And I just hope that we can keep going down this, this path because it's, it's, feels like we're back to normal in terms of what we do. Yeah. And I was going to say, you know, I've talked to people throughout this summer that, you know, Gonzaga, Baylor, you name it. I, I don't even think they had quote unquote fun in the traditional sense. Uh, and it, it was everybody. So real quick, before we get you out of here, just a couple guys, you know, you mentioned Kennedy Chandler. There's obviously a lot of excitement about him. Five-star recruit, uh, number one point guard in some services in America. I know you don't want to put too much on his shoulders too early, but as you said, he was with the U19 team. I don't know how much you've had him on campus, but but what have you seen? Are you excited? I mean, I know you're excited to coach, coach him, but what should fans expect, uh, hopefully, uh, as we get closer to the season? Well, obviously, I think our fans are excited and expect a lot to see because of, you know, the hype that goes with being, some, as you said, some people say the number one point guard in the country. What I've seen from him in the time that we've had him here, and, and we've known him so well because we, we've recruited him for so long, uh, one, I'd, I'd say the first thing is how much his teammates enjoy playing with him. The second thing is knowing him and how much he wants to improve as a basketball player. He, uh, he loves to play the game. He does a lot of things instinctively well, but he knows that he needs to get better in, in, in areas, and then he's willing to do that. He wants to be coached, but his teammates really enjoy him. He's got a, you know, not only on the court, but off the court. He's got that kind of persona that – I think that spills over to people where he he's going to instill some confidence. And I think he's going to make the game easier for some guys. He's going to get some guys some shots at uh, some easy baskets that we didn't get a year ago, which is what really good point guards do for their teams. But we're excited. And, uh, but uh, I'm excited for, you know, John Folkerson that he came back because I, I, none of us wanted to see him in his career, the way it ended last year. And the fact that he's back, we're excited for him. And, you know, Josiah James and, and the guys that have been with us for a long time. And, and uh, so, uh, you know, as a group right now, we, we really like this group of guys. I think they like each other, which is important. And now it's about being the best team that we can be. Well, and that was going to be my basically my final question was John Fulkerson. I mean, you know, been around forever. I think he was part of your first recruiting class when you first got there. I could be mistaken on that. Um, and like you said, it, it didn't end, you know, statistically the way that he wanted wins, losses. And then, of course, unfortunately, what happened at the SEC tournament. Uh, but but I saw him at the baseball games during the summer or during the spring. And it seemed like he is enjoying uh, one last go around in Knoxville. It, I, I know you. we talked last year and you said, you know, him and Eve Ponds weren't necessarily the, the they were the lead by example more than they were the emotional kind of leaders. But just how nice is it to have that guy in your locker room for one more season? It's great. I mean, you know, Tennessee volunteers, they love John Fulkerson. They do. They love him, you know, being an East Tennessee guy and growing up here and growing up wanting to, wanting to wear the orange. And so, uh, yeah, it's good. And he, and he, you know what, he and Josiah both uh, have, have gotten much, I mean, vocal, much more vocal. They, they realize that uh, they're in a role right now that they need to be that. And so even though they haven't done a lot of reps in practice with our team, they're on the side coaching these guys, being much more vocal, and they, which I think is, is good for John. I think, and obviously, I, uh, uh, Josiah is, is, is great with it. But, uh, 
uh, we're, we really are excited for John because, you know, I think he's going to have the kind of year that we were expecting him to have a year ago, which obviously we need that from him and he's looking forward to embracing it. Very good. I, I know you got a, a big lunch appointment. Anything else that we missed? Anything else that you're excited about? I mean, I, I just, I know just from talking to you throughout the last year, how, how nice it must be to have your, your guys back, your, your, you know, like you said, interact with them, hang out with them, let them hang out in the locker room, things like that. Yeah. Well, you know, this new name, image, and likeness, maybe uh, you and I can work something out from a coach's standpoint that I can just be exclusive to you. Let's you know? do it. You know what? Yeah. Listen, all right, listen, I don't know. I mean, you got to, I, I don't know if I can compete with Danny White's dollars and cents there, but listen, if this is what you want to do, you just let me know, you know, we'll get a, uh, you know, I don't want to start naming sponsors, but we could get a sponsor. I don't want to offend anybody that may be already be a sponsor, but you just let me know. I'm hanging out, man. I'm watching all your games anyway. So, hey, you know what? I threw it through that out there, Kim, but you got my you got me spinning right now. Maybe I need to get into this. <laughs> well, listen, like I said, I, I my budget might not be quite what UT's budget is, but, you know, have your people call my people and, and we'll see if we can make something happen before the start of the season. How's that sound? All right. Sounds good. Appreciate you having me. Love All you. Right. Thank you. That's Rick Barnes, head coach, Tennessee. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.